Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. And we're talking about the fourth Alien movie, Alien Resurrection, and our month-long series wrapping up the franchise. Alien Resurrection is a 1997 American science fiction horror film directed by Jean-Pierre Genet, written by Joss Whedon, and starring Sigourney Fucking Weaver and Winona Ryder. It's the fourth film in the Alien franchise, as Robert just said, and was filmed at Fox Studios in L.A. It's the first Alien film to not be shot in England, apparently. Mm. The film features a score by John Fazell. Set 200 years after the events of Alien 3, the movie focuses on a cloned Ellen Ripley who has a queen removed from her body by the military who hope to breed it and study the creatures using human hosts kidnapped and delivered to them by a group of mercenaries. Dan Hedia, Ron Perlman, G.E. Freeman, Brad Dourif, and Michael Wincott play supporting roles. The film proved to be the least successful of the franchise in North America, but critics were kinder to this installment than the previous one. But money always determines the future, and later sequels were scrapped. However, in 2003, Genet released a special edition. He does not call it a director's cut, though, as his preferred version is a theatrical cut. So that's the one we're going to be talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, listeners, who do we have to fuck to get off this boat? This (laughs) is Alien Resurrection. These were very, very hard to come by. So was our cargo. Whatever you got going on here ain't exactly approved by Congress. It's a military operation. Really? Who are you? Ripley Ellen, Lieutenant First Class, number 36706. Ellen Ripley died 200 years ago. You're a thing, a construct. They grew you in a lab. What the hell is going on here? He is breeding an alien species. Wish you could understand what we're trying to do here. Now they brought it out of you. Not all the way out. You want to tell us what this is? It's a queen. She'll breed. You'll die. Ellen Ripley died trying to wipe the species out. I'm not anxious to see her taking up her old hobby. I can feel it. I can hear it moving. So here you, like, ran into these things before. Yeah. What did you do? I died. We're moving. That's a standard emergency procedure. Any serious problem in the ship autopilots back to home base. What's home base? Earth. What is that? I thought you were dead. Yeah, I get that a lot. Two hundred years after Ripley's death, scientists aboard the spaceship U.S. Cenariga are working on a secret project for the military. They have been attempting to produce a clone of Ellen Ripley, played by Sigourney fucking Weaver, working from a blood sample that was collected from Fury 161. 
In doing so, they hope that they can harvest the alien embryo, a queen of the species that was gestating inside of her at the time. Dr. Wren and his team have succeeded with their eighth attempt. They operate on the Ripley clone and remove the embryotic alien. After the alien is removed, Dr. Wren and his colleague, Dr. Gediman, played by Brad Dourif, decide to keep the clone alive for further study. They repair the wound in her chest. As she recovers, she notices a numeral 8 tattooed on one of her arms. The Ripley clone begins to gain consciousness and mature at an unprecedented rate. The ship's doctors go through exercises with her regarding language and learning, and she responds positively. She also exhibits a frightening predatory physical power, able to break her bonds and attack at will. She seems to share DNA with the alien creatures, explaining her unusual strength, and her blood is also slightly acidic. The experiment angers General Perez, played by Dan Hedia, the military figure in charge of the operation, who calls her a meat byproduct. He's only interested in the alien queen, which has also grown at a terrifying rate and is now almost full size and is contained within a cell in the ship. The Ripley clone seems to sense what's going on. One day she eats with Gediman and Wren, and she reveals a startling flash of her former self. It seems as if the clone has retained some of Ripley's memories and personality traits. Gediman tells her how they painstakingly recreated her, and she intuitively guesses that they wanted the alien. Enter the Betty, a ragtag ship carrying a crew of space pirates. Their cargo is the crew of another ship, still in their cryogenic containers and asleep, unaware that they have been hijacked. General Perez has hired the pirates, led by Frank Elgin, played by Michael Wincott, to deliver the unfortunate sleeping travelers to be used for breeding the aliens. Before long, the kidnapped people have been impregnated, and a number of drone aliens are now in containment units on board the ship. The Betty crew find Ripley exercising in a recreation center, tossing a basketball around. Johnner, played by Ron Perlman, one of the Betty's crew, attempts to fight with her, but Ripley easily outmaneuvers and fights back against him and another space pirate, Christy, played by Gary Dorden. Another pirate, a young waifish girl named Call, played by Winona Ryder, seems to have a different agenda. She slips away from the others and finds Ripley's containment unit, gaining illegal access to it. There she finds Ripley and attempts to kill her. The resulting knife wound heals rapidly, and her blood corrodes the blade. She releases Call, who is immediately intercepted by guards and Dr. Wren. Wren is furious about Call's trespassing, and he attempts to execute the crew of the Betty as terrorists. But, together, the contained aliens revolt. Two of them gang up on a third and kill it, causing its acidic blood to eat through the floor, freeing them. Gediman is snatched away by one of the aliens. Ripley escapes from her cell as the ship goes into emergency mode, and some people escape to life pods, only to have the pods destroyed in orbit by General Perez, who, along with Elgin, is killed by aliens. Ripley joins Call and the rest of the Betty's crew and a soldier, Stefano, played by Raymond Cruz. What? I know. <laughs> we already know the answer to that question. <laughs> Ripley joins Call and the rest of the Betty's crew and a soldier, Stefano, played by Raymond Cruz, and they make their way to where the Betty is docked. Ripley senses that the ship is moving, and Wren confirms that it's traveling rapidly back to home base, Earth. They take Wren with them. They find a laboratory where Gediman and the others created the Ripley clones, inside of the previous seven attempts, all of them hideously deformed and bizarre alien-human hybrids. The seventh clone is still living, but in horrible pain, and begs to be killed. Ripley 8 uses the flamethrower and grenades to destroy the other clones. One of the kidnapped crew members, Purvis, played by Leland Dorser, is still alive. Call insists they bring him along in hopes of later saving him. 
The group must cross the mess hall, not completely flooded. However, two aliens are hot on their tails, swimming after them. One One of the aliens is killed, but the other grabs Space Pirate Hill. When they emerge on the other side, they find themselves in a room filled with eggs, which have begun to hatch. A facehugger attaches to Ripley, but she rips it off. Colin Wren reach the top of the shaft first, and Wren gets her gun and shoots her in the chest. Her body falls back down into the water and drifts away. Christy is wounded and grabbed by an alien, and then sacrifices his life to give his shipmate a chance to get away. Wren has escaped the shaft and sealed everyone else inside. But the door eventually opens, as Call has somehow survived the gunshot and rescued them. Ripley knows that something is afoot. She makes Call show everyone the wound, revealing wires and white android blood. Call confesses that she is one of a legendary second generation of androids created by other synthetics who attempted to pass themselves off as human. Although Call does not want to use her android functions, Ripley urges her to take over the Ariga's computer. Call discovers that the Ariga went into emergency mode after the attack and is now automatically returning to Earth. The ship has burned too much energy for Call to make critical mass and blow it, so Ripley tells her to crash the ship. Call blocks Ren from reaching the Betty and summons all aliens to the deck where he is. She then reveals that she has accessed the mainframe and discovered the plans that General Perez had for cultivating the aliens by cloning Ripley. Her personal mission was to destroy the operation and keep this from happening, as she understands that the aliens will wipe out humanity. Ripley is snatched through the floor grating by aliens. They recognize her as one of their own and take her to the Queen's Nest. Gediman is there as well, cocooned and delirious, and he tells Ripley that the Queen inherited Ripley's human reproductive cycle and developed a strange uterus pod. She gives birth to a human-like alien, but the newborn kills the queen and embraces Ripley as its mother. It attacks Gediman, biting off the top of his head. Ren shoots Purvis, who, although injured, pulls Ren's head close to his chest, just as the alien inside bursts forth, killing them both. Ripley escapes the nest and races to rejoin the others as the Betty takes off. She's the only one left alive who can pilot the ship. Call goes to close the bay door and discovers the newborn has stowed away. She barely manages to evade it, but DeStefano is killed trying to save her. Ripley discovers the newborn cornering Call. She distracts it by using its trust in her. She cuts her hand on its sharp teeth and flicks her acidic blood onto a glass porthole. The blood dissolves a hole in the glass, depressurizing the cabin and sucking the newborn onto the window. It hovers there as it... (laughs) It hovers there as it's slowly drawn violently out the tiny hole. The Ariga crashes on Earth and is destroyed. The Betty breaches Earth's atmosphere safely, and Ripley and Call look out the porthole at the clouds and the sun, dazed by their experience and wondering what the future will hold for the both of them. The end. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) That was fucking painful. (laughs) Who wrote this shit? <laughs> Alien Resurrection was released in North America on November 26th, 1997, Thanksgiving weekend. During the five day long weekend, it grossed $25 million, securing the number two spot at the box office behind Flubber. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Other movies in the top 10 that weekend included Anastasia, The Jackal, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, Bean, and Starship Troopers. Wow. Oh. 
As we mentioned earlier, this was the least successful of the franchise in North America so far, as it only grossed $47.8 million domestically. Just like Alien 3, however, it was very popular in overseas markets, where it would eventually bring the box office total to $161.4 million against a budget of $70 million. Alien Resurrection holds a 54% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 39%, and the site's consensus reads, Alien Resurrection marks a slight improvement over its predecessor, but still lacks the emotional stakes that helped make the franchise's first two entries sci-fi horror classics. Metacritic assigned the film a 63 out of 100, indicating generally favorable reviews, and audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the movie an average of B-. Lisa Schwartzbaum of Entertainment Weekly gave the film a B plus and wrote, By rocketing ahead 200 years from the previous film and jiggering the story cleverly, Alien Resurrection power kicks the whole definition of the horrifying other into a fresh, deep, exhilaratingly thoughtful, millennium-sensitive direction. <laughs> Just a fucking mouthful, Lisa. <laughs> Washington Post critic Destin Thompson felt the movie... <clears throat> satisfactorily recycles the great surprises that made the first movie so powerful, and, most significantly, it makes a big hoot of the whole business. <laughs> Janet Miaslin of the New York Times wrote, The director's ghoulishly feckened imagination makes this tale so murky that even the screen's toughest warrior woman remains largely stuck in the mud. Jeffrey Overstreet rated the film C+, and commented, What began as the most menacing movie monster of all has evolved into a whining oaf that looks like it's been dipped into a vat of cream of wheat. <laughs> that was my favorite review. <laughs> Roger Ebert gave the film a negative review. He stated, There is not a single shot in the movie to fill one with wonder. He later named it one of the worst movies of 1997. Here, here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, actually, I kind of liked it when it came out. I was, it was obviously not as good. You know, I, I think I liked it more than Alien 3 at the, at the time, though. Yeah, I mean, I certainly did. I yeah. just, I, But I only saw it the one time. This is my second time to see this movie. Oh, holy crap. Well, this is the, uh, this is the first Alien movie I was, I was old enough to see in the theater. And I didn't see it in the theater. I don't, mm. I don't think so. I also watched Event Horizon and Stars of Troopers, all in 97. Both much better movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks like it was up for some accolades. Uh, at the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards, it was nominated for Favorite Actress Sci-Fi for Sigourney Fucking Weaver, um, but it won Favorite Supporting Actress Sci-Fi for Winona Ryder. Okay, at the Sounder Awards, it was nominated for Best Science Fiction Film, but lost to Men in Black, and uh, Best Actress, but lost to Jodie Foster for Contact, uh, Best Supporting Actress, but lost to Gloria Stewart for Titanic, and Best Director, but lost to John Woo for Face Off, Best Costumes, but lost to Starship Troopers, and Best Special Effects, which also lost to Starship Troopers here, here. Mm -hmm. Deservedly. Mm -hmm. At the Stinker Awards, it was nominated for Worst Actress and Worst Supporting Actress. Come on. Yeah. More sequels were planned, including a script for a fifth movie written by Joss Whedon. However, he was very upset with how Resurrection turned out. In 2005, when asked how the film differed from his script, he said, quote, It wasn't a question of doing everything differently, although they changed the ending. It was mostly a matter of doing everything wrong. They said the lines, mostly, but they said them all wrong. 
And the cast was wrong. They designed it wrong. They scored it wrong. They did everything wrong they could possibly do. There's actually a fascinating lesson in filmmaking because everything they did reflects back to the script or looks like something from the script. And people assume that if they hated it, they'd change the script, but they didn't. It's just that they executed it in such a ghastly fashion as to render it almost unwatchable. Oof. Yeah, that was pretty, uh, pretty rough. The storylines of Resurrection have been continued in the comic series Aliens vs. Predator vs. The Terminator. <laughs> and books Aliens Original Sin and, and Alien Sea of Sorrows. And Alien Mother of Tears. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the movie Aliens versus Predator versus the Terminator? I mean, like, <laughs> why why haven't uh, we seen this? I don't know. Just why did we get Prometheus? That next. I don't know. That. Two prequels, Prometheus and Covenant, were released, and we'll be covering those over on Patreon in a special science fiction double feature episode this month. A television series is also in the works, and there is always the constant threat of more sequels to come. Which they're actively working on as well. Yes. I mean, like, I can't turn around without seeing some news about a new alien movie that someone wants to make. Well, I hope it's Neil Blomkamp or actually one of the directors that was supposed to direct this one, which we'll get to in a moment. Ooh, I don't know any of those people. Hmm. But you do. All right. Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I know them. I didn't know they were <laughs> going to direct this movie. Uh, let's get into it, shall we? Yeah. Um, this is not quite as, oh, I don't know. I was going to say it's not quite as stacked, but it's kind of stacked. It's got at least, you know, three or four really recognizable people. Obviously, Sigourney fucking Weaver is playing, not Ripley, but Ripley 8. It's an important distinction. Yeah. And uh, Winona Ryder you know takes a turn as a robot in this franchise which was kind of the news of the movie i feel like when it came out yeah and i i feel like i mean winona Ryder had obviously a lot of credits to her name at this point right we've already talked about her in dracula and and whatnot so i mean like you know doing genre films is not completely unheard of for her i think she'd mostly done genre films, well yeah so. but i mean at the time it was like she was a bigger a-lister than sigourney fucking weaver in the 90s I remember that was a big news. Like Alien 4 was going to be, you know, have two giant A-listers in it. And it was going to be like the new reset of the whole thing. And I was really, really excited about it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, alas, dreams were crushed for this little boy in 1997. (laughs) I'm so sorry. That's so sad, actually. (laughs) Uh, Ron Perlman's always fun to see. Yeah, he's a fucking national treasure. He is. Yeah. I I really like him. I I don't know if I liked him in this movie. I liked him pretty much in every other movie more that he's been in. Yeah, he's kind of a dick. Yeah. Right? But that's just his character. He's also kind of a misogynistic dick. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they really went out of their way to make him super misogynistic. It also features Michael Wincott, who was the weird guy, bad guy in The Crow. And that's all I pretty pretty much know him from. He's a Canadian actor. I didn't even think about that. He's that deep, raspy voice. Yeah, his voice is super deep. And he also has like the best line in the movie to me, right? Because the, the captain of the, the big military vessel is like, drink? And he goes constantly. Right? <laughs> just, just so There's a lot of one-liners in this. And that's Joss Whedon's fault. I mean, his response. I mean, it's just Joss Whedon. We'll say that. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we also have Gary Dordan as Christy. Big, beautiful black man with blue eyes. Love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dominique Pino. Pino? I guess, and he plays the guy in the chair, who's confined to the to the wheelchair, the mechanized whatever it is, and he's basically in every um, every one of Janae's films, including Amelie. I love Amelie too. I can't wait to talk about Janae for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kim Flowers uh, was the assistant pilot who was involved with the captain, mm-hmm. and uh, we've got 
Dan Hedaya, who I love seeing in all the movies he's in. He played General Perez on the ship. Even he, I mean, like he was kind of funny in this movie too. Oh, he's yeah. always funny. He's a good comedic yeah. actor, you know? Yeah. And like the nineties were good for him because of Clueless and shit. So. Yeah. But he was also in a couple other, wasn't he also in one of the Tim Burton movies or something? Like he was something, I don't know. It's possible. One of those things. Uh, we've got J.E. Freeman from Dr. Ren. He's recognizable, but I didn't look at his wiki or his IMDb, so I've forgotten what else he's been in. Of course, the wonderful Brad Dourif of Lord of the Rings and Chucky fame, yeah. as well as X-Files and Star Trek and everything else. And he played Dr. Gediman. I feel like that doctor should have been probably combined into one or yeah. those two doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be much more fun to see more Brad Dourif and less of J.E. Freeman, in my opinion. Agreed uh raymond cruz as de stefano one of the military guys under the general and leland orser who i saw all over the 90s he played larry poor as the facehugger victim the, the he's guy in that, seven right he's, yes, he's been in like, a lot yeah he's been in a lot like he, he pops up everywhere he's just like all over tv he's in star trek and x-files like everything right uh and finally we got tom woodruff jr right who also was in um alien 3 remember he won that oscar for death becomes her but played the alien in alien 3 because he's the special effects coordinator and he played the alien the alien queen and the newborn alien in this movie so i mean like really it is a stacked cast but it's a stacked cast of like really recognizable character actors yeah right and people who are really good at their craft right and i I think that one of the things that is an improvement for this movie over alien three is some of the casting, right? I mean, like the acting is good in alien three, but like the, the characters and the acting is, it's just really good. Like they, they, we have different kinds of people, different colors of people in this movie, right? Different genders. And I mean, it just did so many things right in this one area that alien three was sort of lacking for me. Yeah, sure. Well, let's talk about the development of the movie itself a little bit. Okay. It was produced by, you know, the same fuckers behind Alien 3, David Kyler and Walter (laughs) Hill. And, of course, they went on to produce uh, fucking AVP. (laughs) Which I'm okay with, you know. I'm less okay with it. And so is the general critic and audience. I think it's like 30% or something on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I mean, they're not good movies. They're just, I mean, they are fun to watch. Well, I I would have liked to see, like, this is the start of, of, like the series not really taking itself seriously you know what i mean yeah and then it just fell off a fucking cliff uh not that it wasn't already on its way down with alien 3 you know and then it hit bottom and destroyed itself and now you know then we got prometheus and covenant which take themselves far too seriously (laughs) my god i guess uh i don't know we're about to we're about to watch those i maybe i'll maybe since my seething fiery flaming passionately rage against those films has died down since i watched them you know it's been like 10 years i think since prometheus came out and uh just by the way it's been 25 almost 25 years since this movie came out thank you for making me feel very very (laughs) old right yeah so uh, anyway sorry i digress the studio initially imagined that the film would actually sit around a clone of the character newt from aliens um as the ellen ripley character have obviously died at the end of alien 3 although why does that make a difference because you know newt's dead too <laughs> it's been too but i years. guess they, they could have cloned anybody from that no I, I feel like it's actually better in this way because like they i guess actually newt's body no had been cremated and so everyone had been cremated the only person's blood samples i think they even had on furia was uh sigourney weavers yeah because the doctor had taken all the samples right but anyway 
impressed with uh, Joss Whedon's work as a screenwriter. Fox actually tried to hire him and uh, and did. And his initial screenplay had a third act on Earth with a final battle for Earth itself. But uh, it was too expensive. And he actually ended up writing five different versions of the final act, none of which ended up in the film because they actually gave the, the final director, Janae, full credit and ability to uh, to change the script wherever he wanted as part of his deal. Because they, I guess they had learned their lesson on Alien 3. <laughs> yeah, we gave studio the full script and you can just change it. Well, yeah, they were infamous already after the studio meddling from Alien 3, right? And I'm sure Sigourney wouldn't have signed up again if, uh, you know, if they did the same thing. Because she pu- very publicly and angrily lambasted the studio for overwriting Fincher so often. If you recall from last episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you feel about the idea of having a battle for Earth on Earth with the aliens? I'm kind of against. I mean, I like the idea, right? Like in a, in a kind of an Independence Day type of situation, but I feel like it needs to be in a closer, more intimate story surrounding Ripley. And Ripley and Sigourney thought the same thing, right? She wanted it to go back to the, to LV four twenty six. She wanted to go back to that planet. You know, she didn't want it to be on Earth. She didn't think that was as interesting. You know, so she actually, um, she actually stopped. Uh, Alien 5 from happening because it was all going to be on Earth and she kind of, you know, stopped. So, yeah, I don't know. But, you know, Whedon composed the 30 page treatment surrounding the idea before being informed to the studio, though impressed with the script, now intended to base the story off of a clone of Ripley, whom they saw as the anchor of the series. And they were right, of course. Uh, Whedon had to rewrite the script in a way that would bring back Ripley character, which he found really difficult. The idea of cloning was suggested by producers David Geiler and Walter Hill, those assholes, <laughs> who opposed the idea, the production of Alien Resurrection to begin with as they thought it would ruin the franchise. No, they did that last time. They already did yeah. that. <laughs> it's like you've already succeeded in that one. You can cross that right off your bucket list. Yeah. So Sigourney thought that the, the error during Ripley's cloning process would allow her to actually further explore the character, which brought her back, since Ripley becoming part human and part alien would create uncertainty about where her loyalties lay. This was super interesting to her, you know, who thought that the film brought back the spirit of alien and aliens because now it's in space again. And it's, con- you know, confines and she can actually explore a character a little bit. This character actually has an arc. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, I you can see that in, in her performance in this movie that she really was embracing those, like, similarities or, like, that she feels with the alien, right? You know, the, like, tearful moment and being torn between, like, killing them and embracing them in yeah. a weird sort of way. You know what I mean? I'm not quite sure that really works in the movie, but, I mean, she's certainly trying her damnedest to, mm-hmm. like, get it across. Well, like I hinted at, there are some other directors that they went to first. Oh. Starting with Danny Boyle of Transpotting and Sunshine fame. Oh. Wouldn't you have loved to see him? Like, I would have loved to see him do an alien movie. My God. After Sunshine? For sure. But then we yeah. wouldn't have gotten Sunshine because after Sunshine, he said, I'm never doing another sci-fi movie again. So he would have, like, blown his wad. He would have blown his wad. We never would have gotten Sunshine. Well, so. we, that would be a mistake because yeah. Sunshine is so much better than this movie. <laughs> So uh, he decided he didn't want to do it, and so he went to pursue, you know, a lifeless ordinary instead. Oh, well, that's like one of my least favorite movies. <laughs> then they went to Peter Jackson, who was also what? approached. Yeah, but he declined because he said he couldn't get excited about an alien film. Not after Alien Three. I don't understand. Like Peter Jackson did, like all of those nasty like horror movies. Mm-hmm. you know before he got into like lord of the rings and everything else and i'm like how i guess he just didn't like the franchise i don't understand 
Yeah, I mean, I I would like to see what he would have done with it. You know yeah. what I mean? But um, yeah, because I'm I'm pretty sure after seeing things like um, Brain Dead, right? He was also gearing up to do Lord of the Rings. They started filming that in '99, so. Well, yeah, he was way too busy. But. Yeah, and in 1995, after the release of The Usual Suspects, Fox approached Brian Singer to direct. I don't know what happened with that, but obviously, you know, he went out too. He didn't want to direct it because there weren't any young boys in the cast. Oh my god. So let's move right along. The final one that they went, I, I felt like there's more directors than this that they approached, but apparently they also approached Paul W.S. Anderson, who was in talks to direct, but he was unable to take part due to scheduling conflicts shooting Event Horizon. So all of these directors just made better choices by not taking on this movie, right? In fact, they had trouble finding studio space, right? Because, because uh, Starship Troopers was being filmed, Event Horizon was being filmed, all these other sci-fi movies were being filmed on these giant lots. So they had trouble finding the place to, to even film this. It's a popular year for space, right? Yeah. And Jean-Pierre Jeannette was finally asked to direct, as the film's producers believed he had a unique visual style from the city of Lost Children that he had previously directed. But to that, I say, ha ha ha, because it looks like a fucking Fincher film. It just looks like a, a fucking visual or aesthetic copy in palette, the browns and sepias and everything of the last film. Yeah, I mean, so City of Lost Children is is a very good movie, right? Yeah. And it's it's super super whimsical, right? And um, it feels nothing like something from the Alien franchise. No. So I mean, I don't understand that choice really. And all of his movies are kind of like that, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like, he he did things like Amelie and um, Delicatessen, right? All these really strange, like, darkly funny French movies. And none of them seem remotely alien-esque. No, and I don't understand either. They're just trying to get these up-and-comers, right? And he had just actually completed the script to Amelie and was actually surprised, along with the rest of us, to this day, that he was offered the job for Alien Resurrection because he thought the franchise was finished with Alien 3 and believed that making a sequel was actually a bad idea. <laughs> so the director of this movie thought it was a bad idea, so that's never a great thing. Jeanne, uh, however, accepted the project with a budget of $70 million, but he required an interpreter because he couldn't speak English to any of the fucking crew. Or... So you got a director that doesn't believe in the project that can't speak the language of the crew and cast. So there you go. Oh my God. All right. So Alien 3. This fucking genius like, is over at Fox. or just, you know. They sabotage the run for one movie. <laughs> and then they pick someone who can't even like helm a project. The other Here's the script. You have complete control over it. Oh, you don't speak English? That's okay. God damn it. He also opted to make the film more of a dark comedy and was encouraged to include more violence after the fact. <laughs> because that's what he does. He yeah. makes dark comedy. He's like, I don't like the movie idea of making an alien movie, so I'm just going to make it into a comedy. <laughs> I mean, there were some funny parts. And Joss Whedon, you're right. He, he can't help write himself. funny scripts. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, he, he writes in a very comedic, conversational kind of way, you know? And yeah. I mean, like, that's good. Like, the first half of this movie feels like so much of a Joss Whedon movie and then something happens toward the end and it's like, okay, what happened? Like, it's just this weird about face and totally changes. Well, it's funny because I uh, hearing Joss Whedon talk about this is he wanted it to be the kind of light atmosphere that he ended up doing five years later only for Firefly, mm-hmm. right? Firefly and mm-hmm. eventually his, his own Serenity movie, which was still good movie. Um you know, and so the way he talks about it is actually kind of whimsical, the way he, he wanted the tone to be. And so they might have hired this director based on his description of the tone for his own script. Oh, yeah. You know, so that kind of brings it all to kind of, to kind of together for me. But obviously, 
different cooks in the kitchen, different ideas. And he decided to do, to do it, you know, much straighter laced, you know, than it was actually scripted. And apparently the studio had a lot of like faith in the project. Anyway, they released it on Thanksgiving weekend. That's a big movie weekend. Yeah. And I mean, obviously it didn't perform as well as they had wanted. Right. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe they're just banking off a of franchise recognition alone, releasing it during something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. But, I mean, what a slap in the face, like losing number one spot to Flubber. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, well, it was Robin Williams. Come on. Who's like king of Thanksgiving box office, yeah. right? I mean, like, if you look at a schedule and be like, what are we up against? Flubber with who? Robin Williams? Like, oh, fuck. Well, we're not going to make any money. <laughs> well, generally, they, you know, the R rateds can compete against the PGs, you know, because it's a different audience. And so they gambled yeah. and they lost. But, you know. Anyway, so let's talk about the effects because we had to make a point of it for the last film because they fucked it up so hard. So um, this one does feature the first 3D generated aliens, like the ones that were swimming, and they still kind of hold up. I thought they looked great, yeah. actually. But otherwise, it was a mix of suit, animatronic, and CGI, and I, I thought they did really well. They, they did mix all those things, and that's always the best things to, you know, to really judge what you use by your shot. Sometimes they didn't really mix that, that well. The compositing wasn't great, but it's still far far better than alien three i mean i i wrote that in my my notes when i was watching the movie right it was just random thought i was just like oh my god like the the alien swimming through that like flooded area is so much better than almost everything we got in alien three i was just like huge improvement it's so, also the the most the camera ever lingers on an alien i think in any of the films because there's with okay. long shots with them swimming towards them. Well, and that's the thing, too, is like one of my biggest complaints about Alien 3 was that we don't get to see the alien enough. And when you do, you just want to barf. Yeah. <laughs> and and not in a good way. <laughs> there's like aliens all over the fucking place. And I'm like, good. I'm like, you paid attention to me or something. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think some of the best effects done, I mean, besides the newborn, is one through seven. Right. When she finds all of her clones mm-hmm. and progressively they get more and more human. And finally, she's, you know, she comes across the one that's just like, it's actually alive. And that was the makeup for that. The special effects that, that were done for that was done very, very well, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, the the props that are in that room, right, that they can just create for some of the, the non-living experiments yeah. are really neat looking, right? And then that, that, that one that she kills, Ripley 7, is really kind of gross. And I'm here for it. Yeah. You know? so. Well, it was, it was all of it was just makeup and except for her head which was brought through the bottom of that table really yeah none of it was prosthetic it was only her she just put her head through the table and then they you know stuck it to her you know none of the rest of the body was real it was all fake i mean the effects and the props in that scene are are really good i don't some of the emotional acting moments are kind of like cringy you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like the deformed ripley seven like begging for death i was just like okay i mean some of it doesn't work but it was neat to look at sure the uh the biggest effects that generally people talk about is the newborn right Mm. so the animatronics versus digital and they decided to go almost full animatronic and suit with this janae was adamant about the hybrid having genitalia (laughs) which resembled a mix of male and female sexes but fox was uncomfortable with this However, and Janae eventually changed his mind, feeling that even for a Frenchman, it's too much. <laughs> the genitalia were removed during post-production using digital effects techniques. The animatronic hybrid required nine puppeteers 
and was the most complex animatronic in the film. The newborn is really cool looking. Have you seen the picture of it before that shit was removed? No. It's a giant vagina on its stomach with a dick hanging between lips. (laughs) What? (laughs) That's so stupid. It was going to be in the movie. (laughs) And and Winona and Sigourney were acting against this thing. (laughs) (laughs) My God. Yeah, that is really French. Mm. But I mean, that sort of fits in what his like fucking aesthetic is, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's terrible. Yeah. So, like we said earlier, the music was composed by John Frizzell, who was encouraged by a friend to audition to compose Alien Resurrection's film score. Frizzell sent in four cassettes and received a call from 20th Century Fox about the fourth, which contained music from The Empty Mirror. Impressed with his work, Fox representative Robert Kraft had a short meeting with Frizzell and hired him. Frizzell spent seven months writing and recording the score, which Janae requested to be very different and unique from the previous films in the series. And this included themes of romance and eroticism, incorporating sound effects such as a gong and a red rod. <laughs> what the fuck's a red rod? I don't know. <laughs> it's fun to say that. But it's in the same sentence as erotic, so I just thought it was funny. Rob Rob. <laughs> but I'm probably wrong. <laughs> I just want to call my dick from now on. <laughs> Rob Rod. <laughs> I don't really remember the music too much from this movie, right? I just, I don't. I, um, I, I can think of it if I, you know, I can hear it if I think about it. Uh, it's just not as great as, you know, any of the previous composers, in my opinion. I certainly didn't find any of it to sound erotic. No, me either. And it fits... It actually fits the the movie a little bit better than Elliot Goldenthal for Alien 3, but, you know, all of that was just, like, slammed together to make a, you know, a certainly a movie type of situation. But seven months. I mean, yeah. like, Jesus Christ. And he hasn't really done much that I know of beyond that. Like, you know. I don't recognize his name. No, me either. So, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't click on it on IMDb, so... We also mentioned that there's a special edition. Obviously, we covered the assembly cut slash the special edition for Alien 3 because it is closer to the director's vision. But Janae has said the theatrical version of Alien Resurrection is his director's cut. But, uh, you know, there is 13 minutes of extra footage, including like a new opening and an ending, both of which are crappy, in my opinion. There's like a, a really bad, like close up of a CG fly or whatever which makes it look all gross and weird. You think it's an alien, but it zooms out and it's a fly on someone's like gun or whatever. And it's someone shoots it or something. I don't know. And then uh, the end, they actually end up landing in Paris and it was so obviously an ugly set with like a fake background and Sigourney and one owner just like sitting, not looking at each other, going through like a monologue or dialogue. It's just really bad. <laughs> and then of course there's like, a bunch of conversations like uh, expanding on like the history of what happened to the company, Whalen Yutani, and then several nods to Newt. Yeah, that's that's really missing from this movie, right? Is Waylon Yutani? Yeah, it's all very. It could have easily been, but they were like, no, that's not the enemy anymore. It's it's. I think they were trying to go with like, you know, it's been two hundred years to give a sense of time. You know, even this mega, you know, megalith or of whatever of a of this monopoly company that's all over the universe at this point, even time enough has passed that it's now gone too. You know, so it's try- trying to give you a sense of that. But also, I think um, the writing part of that is is to say that corruption is not just in this company. It's a, it's everywhere, potentially. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, this was maybe I mean, more I, of a, about government. I, I guess that makes sense, right, to, to take that kind of a leap in this movie. I just I feel like if you're going to have three movies where you really are, like, focusing on a large, all-encompassing villain, right, don't just completely abandon it. Yeah. 
So. so let's talk about some of the moments in this in this movie, starting with the opening credits. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously it's a close up of one of those like one through sevens, right? But I couldn't help. I was like thinking to myself, is this opening credits debauched? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, it wasn't very good, and it didn't really set the movie up very well for me i didn't really have anything about it when i was watching the movie either like normally like i do sometimes i will take like just notes or random thoughts and i i don't the the first thing that i have on the list is ooh a naked baby sigourney <laughs> so, <I'm> like, <laughs> so i don't know it didn't even strike me i guess and, so. well speaking of you know naked sigourney Ripley 8 is like waking up and she's in the stupid fucking music videos funeral shroud. <laughs> yeah, the styling is not very great. I'm like, she's not in a cocoon. She was out of it in the previous scene. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. The beginning of this movie is, is kind of. I don't know. It's not, not superfluous, right? Because we, we understand like what's going on in the ship. Right. But really for me, the movie gets going when the Betty shows up. That's true. And despite myself, I actually did enjoy this crew. Me too. I mean, I, I really do. I like them a lot. Um, I think that again, it's kind of hard to know everyone's name, right? Yeah. We know the important people. At least names. they look different. Like- they all look different. <laughs> Yes, I know. It's just like you can tell them apart just by looking at them. And that's important. I mean, like there's like a smattering of races in this movie, too, for once. Finally, it's just not a whole bunch of sea of white people, white men. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, multiple genders and and races and things like that. And it's just much, much better. And they they make them just better characters. And we also get more women this time around. Finally. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple women on board the Betty, and we have Ripley, right? So I mean, there's just already more and call alien three one off. of the crew who yeah. went on a rider, right? You know, and I I kept thinking to myself, is is Call like the only redeeming character of this whole movie? I mean, yeah, pretty much <laughs> the robot. Only Sigourney, <laughs> yeah, only Sigourney at the end of her arc, <laughs> and even then. <laughs> But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, like from the get go, Call is, you know, sort of described and shown to be like a really caring person who has other people's interests at heart, right? Yeah. Where everyone else aboard the ship, both ships really don't, you know? So this is also where we start getting a little, I don't know, like franchise incestuous or something, because it's, it's really kind of taking from other movies and just kind of spinning it or using other things, other concepts brought up in other movies and like spinning it and making its own. Like uh, they call their computer father. And I was just like, what the fuck? Instead of mother. God, I did. I had that in my notes too. I was just like, what are you doing? I was like, this is the most ridiculous thing. Like I said, there's already some parts of this movie that are really misogynistic, right? Like they finally have more women in it and they're just going to like really treat them poorly. And they're going to call the ship's computer father. <laughs> I was just like, no, I was like, what are you doing? Yeah, I think that's, I think those are separate issues. I think they were just trying to do something new, but spin it from something that was before. But, you know, we do get another, you know, some other lines like, like the, you the must be a chick thing when Sigourney kills all of her other clones. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of weird anachronisms, honestly, like later, like when they find out call uh, is a robot or whatever, he's like, needs an, do you need an oil change? And I'm like, no, we're like 500 years at this point away from cars. Come on. Well, that and that like that basketball scene, right? Yeah, that was Ron a little Perlman's anachronistic, character. too. I'm like basketball. <clears throat> 
Well, that and then like I just the way that he treats like Ripley in that, like he automatically when he sees her, just his character, assumes that he can like fuck her or fuck her up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like I don't know. It's kind of fun though to watch her like kick his ass. It is. And uh you know, when the when the shit finally hits the fan with the alien cannibals, which is a little weird. <laughs> The fine young alien cannibals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't know. I mean, like, so that was, I mean, like, obviously they were planning, right? Yeah. And they were trying to escape. Why would you put multiple knew. aliens together in the same cell? Yeah, I don't understand. Well, I mean, like, they were sort of, like, separate, right? And then they broke out. There were three together life. in that one, and two of them went after the other, and that's what happened. There was three in one. Yeah. That really is poor planning for science. Stupid. Yeah. Well, whatever. <laughs> they're all stupid to be breeding these things to begin with, right? But at least they're smart because as soon as it happens, to their credit, the general immediately is like, nope, evacuate. We're done. Boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. Right. And so everyone starts evacuating, and one of the aliens does get into one of the escape pods, and uh, he has to throw the grenade into that stupid, you know, Fincher shot that he did. <laughs> That he did where the camera follows the grenade. I think I had something in my notes about, oh, I guess he had to nuke that ship from orbit <laughs> or something like that. It's the only way to be sure. Yeah. But then he also gets his comeuppance anyway, right? So He grew hairy arms. He, he he grew hairy arms and died pretty quickly after he blew up that ship. <laughs> I just remember being in the theater, and I still remember to this day, everyone laughing hysterically as soon as he was on screen. And here's that alarm, and you see his uh, bare arms, his bare oh, shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like a fuck he's like a chia pet or something like i'm a hairy guy but damn i do like when when general perez dies and it it, it looks like and i'm not sure if this is what really happened or not but it looked like he picked out a piece of his yeah. brain and like looked at yeah. it for a minute right <laughs> no straight up from like hannibal yeah yeah <laughs> oh yeah we're starting to get the all dark c- humor mm-hmm Got all kinds of brain matter in his hairy arms. Gross. Yeah, and there's like a whole like human trafficking thing because they're the Betty is the one that brought in all these people, which is I'm like, okay, you're human trafficking. Like the guy wakes up, you know, to a face hugger. All those people do, you know, because they thought they were on their way to work. You know, they were in a call in cryostasis. That's where we also get some dark humor because Ripley is like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? He's panicking, and no one's telling him because they're all like debating on whether to kill him or not. You know, and he doesn't realize there's one of those things inside of him. And so uh, Sigourney turns to him and says, in a few hours, a monster's going to burst through your ribcage and you're going to die. Any questions? <laughs> you know, it's like, that's not how Ripley <laughs> talks. I don't know. Well, I mean, but it's not Ripley, right? No, so, it's I Joss. Mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> that's accurate, right? But maybe this is how Ripley 8 talks. You know what I mean? Well, that guy actually ends up dying really heroically, probably the most heroically in the entire movie, because he, uh, that evil doctor or whatever, ends up, you know, being an asshole on the ship trying to prevent them from leaving or something. I don't know what he was trying to do. <laughs> he wants to, so he he tells Cole that she needs to disable the the crash oh. command, right? That the to let the ship like land, yeah, and um, you know, so he he doesn't get to because. Purvis, that character who's you know infested, impregnated, or whatever, like pulls his head so close to his chest, and the the chest burster like goes right through both of them. It's just neat. Yeah, it's a really neat death scene. It's gross, it's, but it's really awesome too. 
There were a couple of good like death moments in this movie. Um, I think they they kind of ramped up the violence and and gore and alien attacks a little bit more for this one than they did in Alien Three, which is which is good. I mean, this is what people want to see when they go. See yeah, it did deliver a little bit more on genre expectations. Yeah, including in that water scene. I love the water scene. See, I feel like it's, it's just like a cool set piece. It doesn't make any sense really where they are. I was going to say, I like the water scene, but none of it is believable. Well, I mean, it's like something you'd expect on a ship, not a spaceship, you know? Right. I mean, like, where was the, where does the water come from? I mean, <laughs> like, like, oh, the, the, the alarm must have burst this, the pipes or something. I was like, what? <laughs> you don't have to explain it. You know what I mean? Just jump in the water or whatever. I mean, like, it's worth it just to see those two swimming aliens completely. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, that may be my favorite part of the movie. It kind of took me out of it, though, because they were, they were underwater for like 10 minutes. I'm like, how are these people breathing? <laughs> They're really good. Like it's right on the other side of this bulkhead, and then it's like a fucking football length field or something, and they don't have to breathe the entire time. (laughs) None of them. One of them is carrying one on their back. You know what I mean? So yeah, I mean, like Mm -hmm. it is super unbelievable. But it does get to one of my favorite moments in that, like popcorn moments, is when Ron they get out of the water and Ron Perlman like shoots the alien and kills it finally, and then uh gets up and (laughs) and he sees a spider and he like jumps back and shoots it with his gun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> that's funny i do like ron Perlman yeah. a lot in this movie and uh yeah so uh finally they're on their they're you know they finally make their way out of the ship which is just this movie that's all it is is you know aliens aliens get you know released and then escape the ship type of situation the only character arc really being uh ripley having you know having to take grapple between her humanity and her non-humanity i guess in humanity well, and then I think conversely, we could say the same thing about Cole, right? Like she's, she's something that's not a human that really wants to be human, right? So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's an arc to me. I think that she, well, that's not really an arc. It's just explained, it ha- just explained to who she is. Yeah. It happened in like two scenes and one monologue from, from Sigourney. So I, you know, it's like less earned to me than Sigourney's arc, which she's a completely yeah. different person from the beginning of the film to the end, no, which right. is good. But, um, she gets snatched by the aliens and brought to the queen for some reason who's giving birth for some reason <laughs> with her fucking uterus pod or whatever. yeah <laughs> yeah and then um just so much explanation from brad oh my god the fucking stupid chucky narration i'm like if you can't tell the story visually here like we don't need him giving this weird trailer narration for the scene it's super weird to me it was the first time i saw it I mean, we're going to notice if something comes out not in an egg form. If she, like, pops out like a fucking alien and it doesn't have to go through the process, like, we don't we don't have to explain why she's giving live birth. You know I mean? We already okay. know that Ripley has a little bit of the queen. We, oh, we know that the queen has a little bit of Ripley. I mean, by, you know, it's super easy to, to get that. Well, they beat you over the head with yeah. it for most of the movie. She's got those so claws. She's got the acid blood. She's got super strength. Right. You know? You know, and so, like obviously it can go either way and so i mean like the alien got a little bit of human stuff too and it's just popping out live babies yeah and they're kind of muppety i mean despite the really (laughs) animatronic like the really good animatronics and like really good animation like a in-camera animation on its face and its facial expressions and stuff uh and despite its you know dick flopping around i guess that they had to hide you know it still looks like a muppet kind of to me (laughs) 
they had to cut that rub rod like right out. <laughs> but yeah, and I, it's this act of the movie that kind of just fucks it for me. You're right. I mean, you're right on several points that you just made. It is kind of Muppety looking, right? But I really, I really dig the newborn. I think it's interesting and neat, right? Yeah. I mean, for like trying to move a franchise in a different direction, I think that one of the best ways to do it is to try to like change the alien up a little bit, right? But I mean, like in this one, it's a little bit better to me than something that's based off a of Whippet, you know? I mean, like, <laughs> so it just, it just works. But you're right. The final act of this movie just, Fucks the whole thing up. Now, let me get, don't get me wrong. I actually had a good time in this movie. It, I was never bored, right? It's just, it kind of just, it's like a, a slow kind of build and then it's like a slow downhill and then it kind of drops off a cliff here. I wasn't sure where to put my emotions. I was sad for the Muppet thing. <laughs> I was grossed out. I was weirded out at the same time and yet oddly entertained. I wasn't really sure what to, what I was supposed to be feeling in that scene. You know what I mean? I mean, a combination of all of those things, right? <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I think it was a neat looking alien. And yeah, I mean, like giving it some sort of expression and having it sort of like really relate to Ripley, right? And and the way that Ripley is emoting when she's killing it, right? She had to make a decision, but she feels connected to it, right? It was actually originally supposed to look a lot more like her, but it ended up looking too much like the um, the monster and species. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I like that movie a lot, too. I haven't thought about the movie forever. <laughs> God. But yeah, no, I mean, I just, um, the ending of this movie is kind of craptacular, but. Yeah. It's better than the uh, special edition ending. I'll say that. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen that. So, and I, I probably won't ever, but um, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I kind of enjoyed the movie and it's like batshit craziness throughout most of it. And then it gets to the ending and you're right. It's, it's, you know kind of out of left field and it, things change. It becomes a very different movie. You know, it's just like, we need to wrap this up as quickly as possible and get to earth. so we can just end. Yeah. It. I would have rather have her had that kind of confrontation um, at the queen in the queen's nest. Right. And continued to, to deal with it there so that she makes a choice of whether she wants to continue to be human or not. And she makes it. And then she has to make it again when she kills him in the spaceship. So I think it would have been more poignant, you know, I, I think they were just going yet again for this queen alien thing, right. Where it gets stows away on the ship. Yeah. And, it's just like the immediately first one, calling yeah. back to the first movie. Yeah, first right? and second. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we've seen this bit. So um, yeah. And the thing is like, the, the queen has always been like the big bad, you know, ever since aliens. Right. And I feel like it was sort of dispatched really quickly by the newborn. And um I mean, like it, it sort of like treats Ripley like its mother, but I mean, I don't understand why Ripley would also feel like its mother because she didn't give birth to it. Yeah. It just like some of her DNA happened to be part of it. I don't know. It's confusing. It's, <laughs> it's, it's overwrought. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is trying to have a Dickensian proclivity, but <laughs> failed. Well, speaking of Dickensian proclivity, there are are a few themes in this movie, including like the one we just kind of touched on about identity, like what's human, what's normal. Call made a good point that Ripley is not actually Ripley. And I wonder if it would actually been better if the story would have started with Call and her intentions, like her, her finding out that information, her getting, you know, her getting on that, that crew and then getting to that ship. And it would have been a different or better movie, but I feel like that might've been, might've required a little bit of longer format, like a miniseries or something to do that. 
I think that they could have easily done something like that with this movie and just sort of cut out the beginning parts where they're trying to, you know, harvest the alien out of Ripley, right? Yeah. And make Ripley more of a secondary character in this movie. If you really start with the crew of the bed. And really double down that it's not actually Ripley. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then she sort of stumbles across it or whatever. Yeah. I think that's a much better kind of story for this movie. I think we focus way too heavily on the scientific aspects of it, right? The idea of cloning and like having to go through the steps to find the perfect one. And a lot of that is just not very exciting. Yeah. You know? Speaking of, of not very exciting, I feel like the company motive. And then finally, you know, like I'm just thinking back to Alien 3. You know, like, why didn't they just go back to, like, LV-426 if they were that interested? Right? There's a whole fucking yeah. ship of eggs over there. It's just they're, they're saving it for a different movie that they're, they're not willing to make. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, it has been 200 years, and so maybe they have done that and it just didn't work out. Early. Well, if they knew about Fury, they certainly knew about LV-426. Well, they had to have. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean, we, we're not really privy to what happened in these 200 years. Yeah, okay. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm just reaching. Maybe I'm trying to help them out a little bit. But I mean, Maybe we should stretch next time. <laughs> but I mean, it, it is like the, the easiest thing to do would be go to the original planet, which again, I think would have been a much better movie. Yeah. And they, they again, they're they're using a lot of a lot of things from Alien and Aliens, right? They're doing a lot of callbacks. They're really trying to tie this one more with Alien and Aliens and, and yet be a different thing. And they kind of succeed there, but they're going so far as to actually lift lines from the others, kind of trying to do it organically. And it's not really right. The first one not being very organic, which she says, my mommy always said there's no monsters, no real ones, but there are. That's from Aliens, right? Mm-hmm. That's a voiceover that's meant to call back immediately. That's fine. But yet again, she's sitting at that cafeteria and the scientist is telling her that she's a clone and, and what they did. And she's telling them about the queen and they're, they're going to die. And he was like, well you know we can we can train them and she says won't make any difference right that's another line from aliens and then he says just like bert does in aliens well i wish I, you could understand what we're trying to do here you know like it's <laughs> come on you can do your own thing i swear well man it's called resurrection so <laughs> okay. i mean like, they're trying to save themselves from alien 3 and also bring back everything that was good about aliens and alien right i mean Really, they should have like had a better pun for their title. Yeah, just make the Wooden Planet movie. <laughs> for real. God, that's still the most interesting thing we've talked about in the last two weeks yeah. is that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like I get I get the themes. And I mean, like like we had said earlier, I, I did enjoy this more than Alien 3, right? But I mean, problems. Problems abound. Yeah. So I've got some fun facts for you. Good. I'm going to need some fun facts. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, something I actually didn't even know, which, you know, who would even think about it? But the androids' names in the Alien films follow a pattern. Hmm. Mm -hmm. In Alien, it's Ash, right? In Aliens and Alien 3, it's Bishop. In Alien Resurrection, it's Call. And in Prometheus and Covenant, it's David. A, B, C, D. Oh, my God. An alphabetical pattern. I should have just spelled alien. Ash and Lisa and But especially Lisa. And Ileana, I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah. Now who who would have noticed that? I don't know. Someone didn't. You know. So Sigourney Weaver originally refused to do a fourth film, and when asked why she changed her mind, she replied, Well, they basically drove a dump truck full of money to my house. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love you, Sigourney fucking Weaver. 
<laughs> she actually eventually signed on not just not just because of the money but largely because of the one scene in particular where she encounters her previous seven aborted genetic incarnations yeah i can tell that she really enjoyed that scene it was yeah, like her favorite was, that's her oscar her oscar of play. all the scenery to chew <laughs> myself <laughs> self lesbianism yeah. So, director Janae wanted to display Ripley's new powers, including a scene in which Ripley throws a basketball through a hoop while facing the opposite direction. We were trained for 10 days and averaged one out of six baskets, although the distance required for filming was farther than she had practiced. So, Janae was concerned about the time being spent on the shot and wanted to either use a machine to throw the ball or insert it later using CGI. Weaver, however, was determined to make the shot authentic and insisted on doing it herself. The shot required many dozens of takes during which none of the balls went in. The crew were going to give up, but gave Weaver one last shot. And in this take, she got the ball in perfectly. The idea was that she did it in one take is, is actually a myth, by the way, if you've ever heard that. Was yeah. So I had to get this one out of the way because it's well known kind of talked about is she didn't get in the first take. It was after dozens, dozens, but it was the last chance to do it. So the ball was out of frame for a moment during the shot. And um, one of the special effects people or the editors offered to take it out so that the ball would be on screen the entire scene. But Weaver refused. She wanted the entire like natural shot to be in there. Now, when it happened, almost immediately, Ron Perlman broke character and turned to the camera and said, oh, my God. (laughs) But there was just enough of a pause that they could actually use the take. (laughs) my god that's amazing again a a reason to love sigourney fucking weaver because it seems like something that she would do as an actress she's like no if it takes all day i'm going to get this ball (laughs) but practicing one in six that's really good there's no way in the hell i could do that well she also uh said she would not promote the film if they would cut the scene between her in the um i think it was the scene with her and the alien kind of like caressing each other and being weird and and stuff they were going to cut that and she's like no i want this weird <laughs> yeah I, I mean like yeah you just reminded me of that and there's also a, like a there's a lot of like lesbian things going on between her and call sometimes they seem a little close and so i can see how they would want this score to be a little erotic i just don't think they succeeded in that but now that you brought up that alien caress yeah it's kind of dumb. yeah yeah so uh also uh Janae wanted to have a scene where a mosquito stings ripley and then vanishes into smoke because of her acid blood <laughs> Well, that's cool. But, you know, eventually he dropped the idea after the uh, special effects team told him how much it would cost. How much would it I don't cost? know. Yeah. They, the, the alternate the <laughs> opening shows the stupid close-up of the fly, and that's what they went with. It looks horrible, <laughs> by the way. Just don't watch it. So, anyway. I mean, I really would like to see a fucking mosquito <laughs> yeah. because of the acid blood. Great. <laughs> Why would there be a mosquito in space? I don't know. I don't I'm know. Just like, Too many I questions. just went to a weird Jurassic Park place. I'm like, well, that would be hard to save those mosquitoes in amber. But. <laughs> That's how they're going to like get the next alien clone. We have a mosquito. <laughs> the next alien movie is like... Life finds a way. Xenomorph Park or whatever. <laughs> Someone running around like, spare no expense, Scott. <laughs> anyway, so um, one owner writer agreed to do the film before reading the script. She stated that she didn't care if she died in the first scene, she'd do it. Ryder claimed that then she could boast about being in an alien movie to her younger brothers and, of course, be in a movie with her idol at the time, Sigourney Weaver. Oh, really? She's good taste. So the first day of filming was the underwater scenes. <laughs> Wonderful, right? 
<laughs> so the underwater sequence marked the first time that Winona Ryder had actually gone underwater since her near drowning incident when she was 12. So she had a complete anxiety attack on the first day of filming. And what didn't help was Ron Perlman nearly drowned when he came up for air, but hit his head on some equipment and had to be rescued when he passed out underwater. Holy shit. <laughs> Why would they do this on the first day? I don't day? know. Look, they want to get the well, hardest part out of the way. They want to work out the kinks. <laughs> Actually, Titanic was being filmed at the same time. That's another reason why they couldn't, um, you know, that they couldn't do it. God, way too many similarities. Or they couldn't find adequate uh, studio space. Ironically, though, something that also hit the, the editing room floor of these fa- uh, fun facts is that it would actually end up being the exact warehouse or whatever where they ended up filming Firefly. And that underwater area is actually where the actual internal of the ship was. Uh, would would end up really? being for the for the show? Oh my god! Oh, I'm still trying to think about people almost drowning <laughs> in that fucking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're coming. Like <laughs> you're going to need more insurance. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Joss Whedon originally scripted the newborn creature as a deadly spider-like, four-legged, eyeless, bone-white creature with red veins running along the side of its head and an inner jaw similar to all the other aliens. And it also had a pair of pincers on its sides of its head, which were used to hold its prey still as it drained the prey of its blood with its inner jaw. The creature was much larger, nearly the size of the alien queen, and it was fairly intelligent and sadistic, audibly laughing as it used a soldier and a human shield against incoming weapons fire. It was also very hostile towards Ripley. Whedon was not involved in later script revisions where the creature was changed to a more believable, quote unquote, hybrid of human and alien. That was a love scene with Ripley. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All of that is just too much. Really? Mm -hmm. I think it's okay to change the alien a little bit, right? To keep the audiences guessing and to, to change the franchise up a little bit. But that, Sounds nothing. Well, it makes no sense if it's like based on her it's for, for it to be spider like, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, there's some of her DNA involved in it across like all these other aliens and to make it like laugh. I mean, like, that's creepy. Never once. That, that is creepy to me. Like, uh, like a faceless eyeless spider thing that's white laughing at you. They would be like using someone as a well, shield. Yeah. No. Okay. Remember the scene um, from that one Natalie Portman sci fi horror movie recently? With the bear, oh, the, with the bear that could like sound like it was a screaming human, That's yeah, right. oh, yeah really, really creepy, creepy, right? And I feel like this would have been kind of the same way. I mean, if they if they made it that way, though, it's so easy to take everything you just described about that and it turn out so comical, yeah. right? So right. but again, maybe well, that's, that's what we're going for. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to make it whimsical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just I can imagine with Joss's script, you know, Ron Perlman saying like, listen to that whiskey laugh or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a chick thing. <laughs> so for my last one, um, although Jean-Pierre Genet has stated to be proud of the film, he swore off Hollywood, any Hollywood film after his experience of it. And he has never made another movie in English nope. again, which is fine. Cause I mean, some of his later work, things like Amelie, things like a very long engagement are very, very good French films. And I would never trade his work for anything. I think that if, if this is what happened and he didn't want to make another English speaking Hollywood type studio movie. Perfect. Because Amelie is one of the 10 best movies ever made. In my opinion. Well, I'm just like, you know, if this is nothing but like this month's lesson, this, this month's Jerry Springer final thought is never worked with Fox executives back in the 90s. And certainly 
don't work with those assholes, David Geiler and Walter Hill. <laughs> so no, because they will fuck up your movie <laughs> <laughs> for sure. They'll fuck your movie up and not even tell you that they're doing it. <laughs> Those were fun. I liked those. Um, and especially, you know, for watching these last two movies, uh, the fun facts are really, you know, keeping me alive and hopeful. So, but we have some questions to ask about Alien Resurrection. Oh. And we'll start with Is Alien Resurrection a yes. movie? Yes. It's also a sci fi yep. movie. But I think it's also a little scarier than. Alien 3. So, were you scared while watching Alien Resurrection? No. Yeah, I really was <laughs> I mean, like, there's some, like, there's some tense moments, you know what I mean? I can, and I can see they were t- trying to amp up the the frights a little bit, but a lot of it just doesn't land because some of it is just a little too funny from time yeah. to time. Out of five stars, what would you rate Alien Resurrection? I gave it a three stars. I'm thinking about, you know, I'm like I said, Alien 3 was like a low three, and I really should be rating it a two. Um, I, I did actually have a good time with Alien Resurrection, so I ultimately had to give it a three star. It's probably a low three, but uh, I also wrote my little letterboxed blurb, if you'd like to hear that. Yes, please. Okay. It reads, it looks like a David Fincher film, but feels a bit stale, like a gallows humor joke on the verge of getting old. And speaking of on the verge, Sigourney's performance here is right on the edge of madness, and I think that's what ultimately makes this movie work. For better or worse. Yeah, I like that review. I think that really sums it up. And you're right. You're right about Sigourney Weaver. I think that like her batshit crazy performance is one of the things that makes this movie yeah. good, right? Um, I also wrote a letterbox blurb. <gasps> would you like to yes, hear I mine? Would. Mine says Does anyone else think that Josh Whedon should write a movie about what Ripley's cat has been doing all this time? <laughs> <laughs> Milo and Xenomorph. <laughs> So more toward the movie, I was just like, "What happened to Jones?" But <laughs> when they cloned Jones, <laughs> <laughs> that could have completed with Flubber. I mean, come on, <laughs> God! But I had originally rated this three and a half stars after I watched it because I did have a good time. And you, and you, you know, had just watched Alien Three, yeah. And so I'm like, "My God!" Like it was a breath of fresh air, really. You know, at least the beginning of the movie, and then toward the end of it, I'm like, "Okay, like y'all done fucked it up and whatever." So three and a half stars, but I watched this movie over a week ago at the time of this recording. And um, when I started to think about it today to prepare, I couldn't remember certain parts of it. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm dropping this down to three. It's a three star movie. (laughs) So if it just like flies right out my brain, then it's obviously not. Yeah. There were some cool lines and some cool moments, but there was no real memorable like scene. You know, there's nothing really to write home about here. Nope, it was utterly forgettable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And finally, and for this movie, maybe most importantly, who's the hottest guy in Alien Resurrection? Raymond Cruz playing De Stefano. Raymond Cruz playing De Stefano is the correct answer. <laughs> I, so I did really like Gary Darden. Uh, too, who played Christy with the two guns or whatever, the first mate. Yeah, 
he was really, really attractive. And also, I think the captain of the ship, Elgin, is and uh, Michael Wincott, mm-hmm. is kind of attractive. I think it's just the voice that does it for me, really. But like <laughs> Raymond Cruz in this movie is just some kind yeah, of yeah. Like he smokes so. like ten packs a day. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he can't be my oxygen yeah. tank or whatever. But Raymond Cruz was just hot the whole way through. So <clears throat> oh my god! So if I keep smoking, does no. that mean that one day I will have a sexy gravelly voice? <laughs> no. We do have no, I'll just tell, gravelly lungs. I'll just sound like Miss Piggy smoked 10 packs a day. <laughs> <laughs> or we'll be standing on the gravel over your grave. Probably. All right. I'll just quit. Oh, and I think I'll quit talking about Alien Resurrection. I think that just about sums up our conversation on it. Uh, we still have two more movies in the franchise to talk about, and we are going to be doing that over on Patreon as a bonus double feature episode science fiction double feature so head over to patreon.com slash the film flamers to find that episode and all of our bonus episodes and sometimes episodes early so there's lots of exciting benefits go over there and join the patreon you can also email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or call our hotline at 972 666-7733 and if you're overseas just start that with a 1-1 one, one. <laughs> who do we have to fuck to get off this ship <laughs> but if all of those methods don't work out for you we're always on social media at the Film Flamers on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram well Robert, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> You're tired. Lasai. <laughs> okay. Let's go off and try to resurrect some sweet dreams. dreams. We're almost done with this franchise. Like, just the so close I can taste it.